My name is Tracy Cook and this podcast series is called Victim to Victory. This series gives a voice to those that have overcome challenges in all forms that dare greatly to share their real stories. Amazing humans that have seen hope and risen above those adversities to become victorious, that go on to support and inspire others to do the same. And today we're giving a voice and welcoming Laura Hart. Laura, welcome to Victim to Victory. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I appreciate all the work that you do here. I think it's absolutely amazing. What a great space to cultivate and really bring women and people together to be able to share stories. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Laura. Now, I want to give our audience a little bit of an insight, and then I'm going to let Laura tell her story in all the the realness of it, because she has a powerful story and she has gone through some abuse and I'll let her go more into that I'm in in her own way she's now the president of a company she started women's groups she's spoken on numerous stages around the world and saved thousands of women's lives not to mention that's just to mention a few of the things of how wonderful uh Laura is so Laura I would like to hand you over to our audience, so to speak. I would like you to step into your story because you've figured out who you are. You're going on to empower and support so many people. And where does Laura Laura's story start? And can you sh- take us through how you're overcoming from the, that story? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Tracy, for having me on here. Um, And it's it's an honor to be able to speak with you and to speak with all the people who trust you to bring them um, other women that can uh, maybe shine some light on some things that maybe they've gone through or are going through as well. So, um, you know, I was raised in a very small town in Missouri, and um, I was raised in a PK house. Here in the United States, we call that preacher's kid house. And um, so it was, it was a very strict religion growing up, and um, it was more of the girls and women who had uh, restrictions on their lives and, and not so much any, really any visible thing with the man. And um, I remember growing up, and I would get teased at school um, because I had to wear skirts all the time. You know, I wasn't allowed to um, go to birthday parties with other kids if they were, you know, going to the movies or bowling, or maybe they were going to play different types of music or wasn't allowed to dance, you know, so many different things that I just wasn't allowed to be a part of. And I, so I was always looking at the world kind of from the outside, just wanting to be a part of it. And like, oh, I wish they could get to know me because, you know, I'm like, I could be their really, I could be a friend to them. Like, oh my goodness, you know, I was, I was always wanting to be a part of the room is what I say. And um, while I still had, you know, a lot of friends and things like that, it was, um, there was always this, it feels like a wall there where I knew that I was only allowed to be so loud 
so big. Um, you were only allowed to see me a little bit because it was kids are to be seen and not heard. Go play over here. You know, your opinions don't really matter right now. You know, you're not old enough for them to matter or you don't know what you want or you don't know what you need because, you know, all of these other adults are going to tell you. It wasn't just, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a family. And um, my village was a, a lot of people. <laughs> and um, so my mom had always tried to have us feel like, you know, things were normal, but we knew that we were in a very controlled home and um, that's kind of just how it was. And so my mindset as I was growing up was that women are the ones who take care of everything and you don't really complain about it. You just do it. And so I think that early training and programming really is that your feelings and your emotions, your needs, your wants, your, you know, your dreams are to be pushed down as hard and as far as you can, because it's everybody else that matters first. And then maybe somewhere down the road, you can think about you. So knowing that that was the type of pattern that I had been brought up in and I'm like, okay, well, it's okay. I know better than to sit down at the table unless all the men have had their drinks or if they need something, be the first to jump up and get something or, you know, that's the type of world that I was, was raised in. And it was really more of a culture thing because being from the South and, you know, that's just what women do. And, um, I was different and I knew I was different from the start because I wanted to use my mind. I wanted to do whatever the boys were doing <laughs> to a, to a point. And I always thought just like, you know, I can, I could do that too. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure that out. And, and then if I do a good enough job, like my papa was going to take me to work with him or, you know, something, just let me get your attention somehow and feel like I have an opinion, like I have a voice. And so that type of programming led me to find somebody that um, fit that criteria. And um, I had got talked into getting married um, because it was, you know, kind of like the thing to do. Um, if you, in my religion, if you were like 18 or 19 and not married, well, there's probably no hope for you, which is terrible because that's such a young age and there's no reason for you to be married that young. And, you know, there's so much of your life you don't even know about yet, you know? And so I got married young. I had kids young and, um, I remember always thinking that sometime, you know, I, I want to be more than what I feel like I am right now. And having all these young girls around me all the time, there was youth girls and all these different things. And I remember thinking, you know, I want them to live their life. Like I want them to know that there's literally anything that they can do. If you just have one person believe in you, then I believe you can do anything. And I was going to be that one person for them because I didn't really have that. I had a grandmother, you know, who loved me and, you know, said I could do anything and all this stuff. But at the same time, that grandmother was also the one who was teaching me how to be a wife, you know, and, and um, even though she did a, amazing things in her life, it was still, she never got to be who she really could be because of all the program and the, the confinement, I would say that she had on her life. And so I remember seeing all these girls and I was kind of considered the black sheep of the church family sometimes because I'd be like, Oh, I don't think that's a big deal at all. They're like, what are you thinking? I'm like, 
I don't think that's a bad deal, <laughs> you know? And um, I kind of was like, you know what? I'm okay with it. You know, like I'm really young. And I remember I hated it when someone would ask me how old I was. And I'm just like, oh gosh, they're going to be like, oh, you're just a kid. How do you have kids this age? You know, how do you, I'm just like, did, what, did you have them when you were 12? No, <laughs> I was 17. You know, I was 16. I was seven, you know, and well, 17. And um, still, that's incredibly young to think of, uh, you know, you're raised as an adult for all this time, but I missed out on so much life experience as well, you know, and I, I kind of skipped some steps. And, um, so I remember thinking, I just want these girls to know that they don't have to do this stuff. Like you can make it on your own. You don't have to feel like there's somebody that has to complete you because you don't want to be an empty person where you feel like you're half the person you want to be able to add to someone's life. And so that was the mindset that I had that I wanted other people to feel, but I didn't know that I could have that too. And so here I was, I felt like I was stuck in this situation. And um, one day I had, we were at church and um, uh, sometimes I I get a little reluctant to tell my story sometimes because I know how it affects other people, right? You know, so I have to be cognizant of that. But I will tell you what happened in our situation is because we were music ministers um, to a large church. And my husband at the time decided to come out to everyone that he liked men instead. So here I am, I have three little girls and I'm like, okay, (laughs) what do I do now? Um, Mm -hmm. All right. It's okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, a definite shock. I mean, do you mind me asking, were there any signs or he just, suddenly yeah, came out. So, you know, and it, it wasn't a good relationship the whole time. And I always felt like I was just stuck. I would have people tell me, I'm just like, well, you know, you could leave, but who's going to want you? I mean, you have three kids. So that's all I heard all the time. Well, who's going to want you? You have kids. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, and I was like, it, I let so many things beat me down that I felt like I really didn't have any worth. Like I was damaged. And I would speak about myself as if I was damaged goods. And it's so sad to think that you could think that you were so low that no one would ever want you because, you know, of, of your life situation. And because I'm young, that was the, the stereotype is because you're young. So the world just thinks that you um, are just some tramp and you've gone through all this stuff. You know, they don't, they don't take the time to know who you are and what your life looked like. You know, my parents got a divorce and it was my brother and I kind of just thrown out in the world on our own, you know, and here I was 15 and a half. I didn't know anything about the world, you know, and I let these patterns of the only thing that I kind of knew suck me back into this entrapment is really what it was. And, um, at that time I was like, you know what? It's okay. All I wanted to do was to protect my girls. I only wanted them to, um, feel like the world was a good place and there were some good people in it. And I just wanted them to find those good people. And that's it. And I didn't want them to see me cry. I didn't want them to see me that I was hurting for all those years. And so it was even more of a shock to them. And I, I wish that I could have learned how to make that transition better instead of it just being like, you know, yeah, he's out. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? 
Um, so it was really hard on, on the girls to understand, well, what's going on? You know, well, I thought everything was fine. You know, they're seven years old, seven, six, and three. And, um, it's a new world now. And all those people and friends that I thought were my family were no longer there because, well, now it's embarrassing to the church. Okay. And it must be my fault because, you know, I'm the female, so I must've done something like, I'm sorry. That's a I big can't burden to bear. That's a really yeah. big burden to bear, and um, you know, it's not a not a nice place to be. To think that, like you said in your own words, that you're that damaged. Who's going to want you? And then yeah. what you think is family and friends turn their back on you. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, Laura, I'm so sorry to hear that you've been through that. It's you know, it's okay now because I. I have learned and understand that everything that you go through is not necessarily just for you. And what I found is that I would still rather it be me than somebody else because I know I can handle it. I can take it. And I, I was like, okay, it's okay. Because giving up is not an option. Quitting, like, what am I going to do? Just stop. No, I have three girls that I have got to protect their mind. Of anything in this world, I've got to protect and guard their mind. You know, I want them to not be scared of people. And I was so worried that they were going to um, become men haters or, you know, feel like they're scared of, of living and all these things because of what they would see me go through. They didn't know half my story. You know, they had no idea the abuse they went through growing up my entire life. And, you know, I just wanted them to be able to be kids and enjoy being a kid. And so I was going to fight for that no matter what. And um, so I remember thinking, well, what am I going to do now? All right, well, I'll just figure it out. So I decided to open a bakery. And um, it was something my grandmother and I had always wanted to do. And uh, we didn't get a chance to do it because she had just passed away a couple years before um, at a young age of 62. And so there were so many things that were just left um, of her dreams that she didn't get to have. So I wanted to, to check things off that list. And so I opened a bakery. I didn't really have, you know, the money to do it. I was making stuff from home and, and I was like, okay, well, I have to figure out um, how to make some money, you know? And so I found a, a spot right on the square in the middle of town. And um, I talked the lady in, uh, to, that owns the place into letting me rent the place um, with a six months gap. So I let her, uh, talked her into giving me six months of free rent just to get going and, and then I would pay it. And so she did it. She was gracious enough to do that. And within six months, I became the number one bakery in the state of Indiana. And I was on a show called Cupcake Wars and I was doing some incredible things. What people don't understand and don't see is that when I opened it is whenever I was going through all this stuff. They didn't see that we stayed at the bakery all the time. And the kids would sleep in the back room on the couch because my water was turned off at home or I didn't have the money to have the electric turned on. So we had to camp out at the bakery and I had to act like it was a fun adventure because I didn't know what else I was going to do, you know? And um, there's all these things that people are seeing. Oh, she's doing great. I was broke and I was scared to death. I was 25 and I didn't know how to be by myself, let alone with three kids and, and um, in a place where I didn't have any family and I don't know anybody, you know?
And so I remember thinking one of these days, I'm going to make sure that I am never broke like this ever again. Like I will never be in the same position ever again. And I'm going to look back on this and this is going to be just part of my story. And so I, I started re-scripting my story in my head so that I wasn't sad about it because I didn't have time to be sad. I didn't have time to get depressed or any of that, you know? And so, um, it was later that year that someone had walked to my bakery and, um, mind you, I'd been married since I was like two days after I turned 18 or something like that. And, um, I had never been on dates. I didn't know how to date anybody. I wasn't really interested in dating anybody. And, um, my cousin flew down from California to come hang out with me and stay and help me with the two kids. And, uh, he picked up my phone one day and he was just like, somebody's messaging you and asked you to go out with them. And I was like, who? And it was a customer. And, um, I still didn't know how to have my own voice. Here I am doing this bakery and things, but I hadn't learned yet that it's okay to, to speak up for myself and say yes, or say no, or, you know, what do I really want? And, um, so I, I got in this relationship and, you know, things were going really good for a while. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, things were going really good for a while. And, and I started to feel like, you know, a little, um, more safe. Like, you know, I wasn't in fight or flight mode all the time. And, um, then one day, uh, I had got a, a business partner to help me with the bakery. And I was like, you know, I'm getting so busy. I need help. You know, if I could find somebody who want to partner with me, then they'll have skin in the game. So they have to care about it as if it's theirs too, you know? And, and so I got a business partner, I found her and she's, and her family seemed really nice, you know, all these things checked out. And then I found out she had been stealing from me for four months straight. She had been stealing. And oh, I remember wow. just feeling so gutted. I'm like, who does that? Why would you do that? You know, I'm like, you didn't just steal from me. You stole from my kids. Like you see, like I handed you a successful business and you stole from me. And I remember there was so much stress going on at that time. My body was not working right. And I'm like, what is going on with me? You know, it's like, I just got to keep going to work. I just got to keep going and, you know, working all night and doing whatever I had to do. And, um, I was stressed out because if I didn't, turn um, off the open sign right at, at five o'clock or lock the doors five o'clock. My husband would call me right then and be like, are you closed? You know, and basically yell at me for not being on time and that I better be home now. And, you know, I got myself from one situation right into a worse one. And I yeah. didn't understand or see that because I still felt like I wasn't as good as, and this is what I, this is what I got. And this is what I deserved because I have kids. So who's going to want me? I should just be with this person because this person wants me. And that's what someone had told me. And um, it's self-worth too, Laura, isn't it? It's self-worth. Yeah, it's it's it a is. programming. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, why, why did, why, why was that okay? So um, I found out that I have an autoimmune disease called lupus and it was quickly progressing and that um, they didn't see a really good quality of life for me. And I just remember thinking, wow, like, this is a lot. I'm like, that's really sad. If I'm going to die and somebody writes my story, what does my story look like? It's going to be a really sad story that I don't want to read. I want to have a better story. And I just remember thinking, 
who's going to take care of my kids if I'm not here to make that better story? Like, I don't like what this person is telling me right now. So I'm going to figure it out. And on the way home from that doctor appointment was my first initial turning point. And it was because I was in this state of mind where I had just found out this doctor was telling me that I'm dying and there's no cure. And basically tell me it's like a cancer, but they don't know how to fix it. They don't really know how to treat it. They treat the symptoms and that's it. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I get in this car and we're riding home and I was like asking him to say something. I was like, well, you know, what do you think? Like what's going on? He's like, well, I just wish I would have known this before. I'm like, what? Oh, wow. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because they told me that I probably wasn't going to be able to have any more kids. And he wanted to have a boy. He wanted to have a baby. And I'm like, they just told me that it could kill me if I would get pregnant. I'm like, but you wish you had known this before. I'm like, I couldn't understand anyone saying that to another human being. Like, how did I get myself in this position? Like, why, why did I not think that I was worth enough that I did this again? Like, what is wrong with me? And I just remember going home and sitting there and having to tell the kids that I'm sick. Um, it's an invisible illness. You know, it hurts you and my joints and my tissue, my organs are depleting on the inside, but on the outside, I'm okay. You know, nobody can really see it. It's just, I feel really awful inside. Sometimes, you know, my left arm will hurt and go numb and I'll drop things or, you know, my joints always hurt. You know, I'm always in pain, but I've just learned to deal with it because, you know, things show up in your body when you're under immense stress. And I knew this and it's like I knew and I felt like I was punishing myself for years of not opening my mouth. Mm. And so uh, the next month, actually, uh, it was Christmas time and he was supposed, uh, he was working my husband at the time and he had an episode at work where he had to go to the hospital and he ended up having to have open heart surgery because he had a leaky aortic valve. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then found out I was pregnant and I'm like, wait, I thought they said I couldn't be pregnant and here I am pregnant. And then during the hospital stay where my husband was at with open heart surgery is when I found out that his son, because he had an older son, had been molesting my four-year-old little girl. Oh, darling. And I was like. And this has all happened within a small space of time as well. All two months. Two months. Wow. And I remember just like sitting in my car one day and I'm like, I can't breathe. I don't know how to handle this. I'm like, God, where are you? I'm like, somebody like rescue me. Cause I don't know how to rescue myself right now. I don't know how to handle and take care. Like all I could think of is I want to kill somebody. Like I want to hurt somebody too, you know, yeah. and um, I'm a nice person. <laughs> and why is it that I'm the one getting punished for being like, and that's my baby. You know, how can I not protect my baby? How did I not know, you know, yeah. what was going on? How am I supposed to take care of this person? You know, he was having open heart surgery and I had to take care of him. And I hurt, she hurts. He like, it was so much pain everywhere. And mm -hmm. I had closed the bakery and I'm like, I don't, I'm just going to take it. 
day by day, like this person that I'm supposed to love and trust and take care of, I'm now scared of, I've, you know, all these things, right? And then they told him that uh, he his career was probably going to be ended because he was going to be on blood thinners, he was a fireman, and um, that, that was going to be career ending. And I'm like, okay, oh my gosh, you know, and so I'm worried about him and his mental state, knowing that he's the man, his provider. So I'm like, it's okay, don't worry about it. I can get a job, like I can help, like we're a team, right? Like, you know, this is how it looks like in my head because I lived through fairy tales from watching Disney movies as a kid, imagining that that's what love and that's what life is, you know? Um, and so I remember thinking, I'm just like, it's okay, I got it. Like, cause this is how I would want somebody to be for me. You know, I would want them to be like, we're a team. We're going to get through this together. This is what teamwork looks like. This is what a marriage is. And I, so I was going to show him how to be a partner, you know, how to be that person that I needed. I'm like, okay, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I went and picked up my kids one day in the car. I didn't know what I was going to do or anything yet. And, um, I picked up them from school and one of the girls, my older daughter, she was in sixth grade at the time and she had one of her friends get in the car and come with us. And I was going to take them to the park after school. It was kind of like this stay at home mom routine. And it was very foreign for me because I'm used to always having to work so much um, that I wasn't used to just sitting in a house, working in the house and then going and picking kids up and staying just in the house. Like that's where my prison was and that's where it felt. Um, and though I love being with my kids and everything. It's just that it was, it was hard after doing that for like a year. And so I picked up my girls and they're riding in the car. And I remember the exact moment where I was. I remember the smell in the car. It smelled like McDonald's from like, the kids just picking up the food. And we were driving to the park. I can tell you the stoplight that I ran through and where the music was on the radio. It was that fight song. And um, I remember everything in this moment because it imprinted on me. And what happened was, is I could hear this girl ask my daughter, she said, um, Haley, what do you want to be when you grow up? She goes, are you going to be a baker like your mom? Now, I remember all this situation because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my moment. Like my daughter's going to be like, yes, I'm going to be like my mom. I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to do all these things, you know, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And instead I hear my daughter from the back seat say, oh no, I'm never going to own my own business. All people want to do is steal from you. She goes, I'm just going to get a job. Oh. And I remember sitting there thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> like I felt like I had just been punched in the gut because I thought that I was doing the right thing. I was a stay at home mom. Now I'm there for them all the time. I had to close the bakery. I, you know, I did all this stuff and she didn't know any of it. All that she fall, saw me fall down and didn't get back up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she didn't just steal my dream. She stole my kid's dream too. And I let her, I let this woman steal that part of life from me. And it rippled down to my daughter. And I just remember thinking, I can't let this happen. And so I, just drove straight home and I was I didn't even take him to the park I'm like oh I forgot I gotta go do something I'll be right back and I got in the car and I was just so angry and I was like 
God, that's it. I just need something. I need a friend. <laughs> like, I don't even have a friend. Like, I need a friend. I need someone to be there. And I need, I need something to go after. Like, I knew that I couldn't just go and get a regular job because they would have to ask if I, you know, had a physical or if I had anything going on. And I'd have to tell them technically I should be on disability, but I don't want that because I'm okay. Like, you know, I don't want to do that because I know that I can do something, you know, just my body doesn't work sometimes, you know, sometimes it just gets really tired and I can't help it. You know, I don't know what to do, but I knew I needed to do something because I had to give my daughter her dream back. I had to give that back to her where she didn't feel like she was limited anymore because of what I had done, what I had thought I was doing the right way and all these things. And, um, so I was sitting there, I was like, God, I just need something. And I hung up the phone and, or uh, I stopped praying and I, I was just driving, not going anywhere. And then all of a sudden within just five minutes, my phone rang and I'm like, hmm. so I picked it up and it was, uh, my brother, he goes, Hey, he goes, so I heard about a new company. I was like, sure. It doesn't matter. And I go, he goes, what? I said, it doesn't matter. I'm in, he goes, I'm in, what are we doing? He goes, I don't even know if I'm in yet. You don't even know what I'm saying. I said, no, see, I was just praying and I was thinking that, you know, like this must be a sign or something and you called. So, um, I'm in, but let's do it. He goes, okay, well it's MLM. Like it's network marketing. I was like, oh, uh, okay, that's fine. We can do it. And he goes, what are you like on crack? <laughs> I just remember thinking, I go, no, but I feel like this is probably a sign. So, um, He's like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. Then I go, okay. And I was like, wait, but can you like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I said, cause I don't want to get in trouble. You know, I didn't want to get in trouble at home. And I was like, I just have to prove that I can do it first. Like, this is my chance. I can prove that I can do something no matter what I've been through, no matter all this other stuff. Yes. I've proven myself before, but that's in the past. I have to do it again. I have to keep proving myself, you know, and eventually I'm going to know who I am because if I would have known that I was me, I would have never gone through that, but I didn't know I was me. And so I remember thinking, okay, I don't really know what to do. I remember getting to watch my grandfather and my grandmother do meetings and things because my grandpa was a very successful businessman and um, he was great at network marketing. You know, he was a top earner and all these things. And I remember thinking, okay, I'll just do what Papa did, you know? And I remember sitting in a restaurant, listening to them mainly because I wanted to go to eat the food. Um, but you know, like listening how he did his things. And so within four weeks and three days, I became the number one top female in that company. That I started fantastic. six figures a month. And I hadn't even told my husband yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I did it. And so I remember sitting on the, on the couch and he was sitting in his chair and I remember sitting over here and I was just like, I did it. And I was just like smiling and I started crying. I was like, I can't believe, like, I really did it. Like, you know, and I was feeling really happy, like proud of myself. He's like, what'd you do? And I was like, um, well, this is what I've been doing. And, you know, I sort of, and he was just like, oh, it's probably one of those pyramid schemes. And I'm like, what? Like, 
no one has said that to me. I've got over 350 people on my team, like in less than a month that I brought in personally. And I'm like, and not one person has ever said that to me. I'm like, but what? He, and he made fun of me and then thought it was stupid. And I'm like, but the company just said my name and that they were proud of me. Like all of these people that don't know me can believe in me. Why can't you, you know, why, why is it so hard? Like, I don't understand. And it's because I didn't understand that the better I felt about myself, the more of a loss of sense of control that he would feel about himself. And that I was going to be able to see and recognize what toxic relationship I was really in because then I didn't know, you know, and I had just always accepted things because, you know, who would ever want me? Cause I have kids. And, um, I just remember thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to help, but okay. It's okay. You know what? My brother believes in me. My brother's doing this with me and that's okay. You know, as long as the girls see that I'm doing something again, you know, and so I started doing more and more. And then I started speaking on stages and then I was doing and helping other people make money and grow their businesses. And then I started tapping into some of these things that I had learned and courses that I would secretly do um, on my spare time. And in the middle of the night, I would read and I would do all these things. And now I was putting them into play. And I understood what lessons and leadership and everything that I had been learning in every single bad situation, there was a really great lesson that I learned from that. And because of that, I was able to understand, no, 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 I'm not a victim at all. God, trust me. See, he knew that I wasn't going to lie down and give up and go to bed and not get back up. He knew that he could put that stuff on me because I was going to be able to use it for good later. And even though it sucked and it was awful, at the same time, I still was able to smile. And there's so many people that lose their smile, but I didn't. I kept my smile and I fought for a smile because there were so many times where I just thought that, you know, um, putting on a happy face was being fake. No, I was really fighting to make sure that even though it looks really bad, there is still somebody else who has it worse than I do right now. Yeah, and because definitely. that person might not be able to smile, I'm going to smile for them. And everybody thought I was smiling for me, but it was a smile because I could still smile. I never had to go through something where somebody threw battery acid on me or somebody, you know, had beat me so bad that I couldn't get up. I had somebody knock a door down and grab me and throw me. And I've had other things, but it still could have been worse. I could have had bones broken. I could have whatever could have happened, but it didn't. And even though I've been through so much now, if you ask my kids what their life is like now, I have an amazing husband who loves me more than anything. He tells me I'm beautiful like 20 times a day and he loves me the right way. And even though I have four kids, I now get to have five kids because I got to add on his son to our life too. And I love him as just as if he was mine too. See, because I didn't give up during all that time and I finally got out of that relationship and whenever I did, he picked the worst time to do it. In one month, see, history will repeat itself if you don't understand and learn the lesson and figure out how to 
remove yourself before something happens. And in one month, I had um, just left the company I was with before. They lost their integrity and, and their character, and I couldn't be a part of something that wasn't going to do the right thing. There are two things I always knew that I never wanted to compromise, and that was my character and integrity, because you can't get them back once you ruin them. And so I was like, I'm not going to do that. Can't help it. So I could find something else. I had felt good enough in myself, and I knew that I had enough skills that I can do it again. It's okay. I'm not scared to lose money. I've been broke. I've, been, I've had nothing, but I can find it again. And so in one month, my dog died. Three days later, my husband moved out. My husband left. A week after that, my sister passed away. A week after that, we lost everything in the flood. My husband had turned off the power, the electric, my phone. He took my car, gave it to his best friend's wife. He, I had nothing again and a house that didn't have any lights. And I'm like, you know what? I remember saying I was never going to be here again. I was never going to let myself be here again. And I was in bed one day and I, I got up and I just sat there and I just looked around and I'm like, I can't get up this time. I can't get up because if I get up, one more thing is going to happen. Like there are mean people out there. And if I leave this bed, somebody is going to hurt me again. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. And, and that was, I would say the lowest day that I had ever had going through all these things. It was that one day that was the worst of them all, because that was the day that I almost felt like giving up. I didn't think, I remember telling somebody, I'm no good. I'm no good. I have nothing left for anybody to take. Like everybody's taking it all from me. I don't have anything left to give you because I'm sick. You know, I'm like, my health was plummeting because I was stressed out so much. I would forget to eat. And you know, um, people don't understand that. They're just like, you forget to eat. No, it's a real thing. When you're trying to work so much, you get in the habit of just ignoring your own body and your own things that you just stop eating. You'll stop doing things because you're so laser focused on something. That's all you can think about is trying to figure out how to make it. And I remember laying there and I was like, I just can't get up. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't have any money. I don't have like, my kids deserve a better mom. Like I'm not even a good mom. You know, they see me cry and my whole world got flipped upside down. Why is he so mean to me? Like, why would you be mean to me? <laughs> you know, and I, my phone rang in the middle of my pity party. You know, here I am having a pity party in the middle of my pity party. My phone rings and I'm like, I don't know this number. So I was like, hello. I answered it anyways. And, um, he's like, Hey kid, how's it going? And I'm like, Hmm. Um, now I thought, well, I could lie and I could say, oh, it's fine. I, or I could tell the truth and I'm much better at telling the truth. And I was like, well, it's, it's not going very well. And like, it's not, it's, I'm having a really hard day actually. And he goes, what do you need? Now this person I had only met a couple of times at a generic event for other network marketers, other MLM people, you know, and he didn't, he wasn't in my company. He wasn't anything, but he called to check on me. This is older guy. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you call him Papa Tom and he called, he's just like, what, you, how much, how much money do you need? I can send you money right now. And I'm like, 
now the pride in me spoke up now. And I was just like, what? No, I don't need money. Well, technically I needed money, but I don't need you to give me money. I'll, I'll find money. Like I can do this. But just by him calling me and speaking life to me, he's like, you know, it sucks. You know, he goes, but you can do it. Let me know if you need anything and I'll help you. We'll, we'll send you whatever I need to send you. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for just thank you. And I sat there in bed still trying to think of well, what am I going to do? You know, okay, I feel like I can do something, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I looked over um, and there were a pair of my shoes right by my dresser on the ground. And I, uh, I saw my shoes and it was like I heard this voice in my ear and it was just like, you know, what are you going to do? You don't have any money. You can't do anything. You're not any good. You're damaged goods. You know, who's going to ever want you? You don't want kids, you know, like all these things. You're not pretty. You're not smart. You're not, you know, you don't have college degrees and all these things. And I remember thinking, um, I don't believe that the enemy is allowed to talk to me up here. I believe he's under my feet. And so I was thinking, who told me that I was never enough? Who told me that no one would want me because I want me? Who told me that I wasn't pretty? Because, you know, um, even if you don't think I'm pretty, somebody thought I was pretty enough to be important enough to be here. And because of that, like, I'm going to tell myself that everything that I thought somebody or some people had told me is not okay. And I'm going to speak life over myself. I don't need somebody else. To, I'm going to speak life over myself because I don't believe that. So I grabbed my shoes and I took a marker and I started writing favor, beautiful, blessed, strong, wanted, you know, um, all these different things on the bottom of my shoes. And then I put my shoes on and I started walking around my house and I started thinking things, things like you are worth enough. You are smart. You are strong. You are powerful. You are these, and I started speaking things. And the more and more and the nicer and nicer I talked to myself, the better I felt. And I went and I got dressed and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just knew I needed to do something because being still staying in the room, staying in that house, staying, you know, was not helping me. And it was that month that I made $6,000. The next month I made even more and more and more and more. And it was because I got my butt to work. I went and I sat in the um, parking lot of a hotel. That way I could use their Wi-Fi because I didn't have any. And I started working from my phone there. You know, and it was so many things that I remember thinking, why have I allowed myself to talk to me this way? Because I would never let anybody talk to me like that. I wouldn't let anyone talk to my daughter like that. So I do not give myself permission to talk that way to me anymore. And I had to forgive myself. I was like, Laura, you know what? I am so sorry that I ever let you think that somebody's opinion of you is the definition of who you are. I never knew that someone's description of you could be a prison until it was. And you start to live up to that description that they say that you are. Oh, you're, you know, you're just a young mom. You have these kids. You have it. And I started to live up to that identity. But the real identity was that I am a strong woman. I am successful. I am proud. I am courageous. And you know what? There's not anything that I can't do. If you ask my kids now, what can they do? They don't have any limits. They can do anything they want. If my girls want to go be a model, they can be a model. You know, one of my daughters wants to be an attorney and a farmer. 
you know, so she, you know, they all have these different ideas again, because they saw their mom not do one thing, not do two things, but I can do so many things. And it's because I decided that someone else's impression or opinion of me doesn't really matter of who I am because I was worth fighting for. And I fought. I'm so glad you fought as well, Laura, because that is one heck of a journey and you're still not over. You're still writing the rest of your book. And I'm so pleased that your daughters are seeing you as this empowered woman that keeps getting up and getting up and getting up. And that is just teaching them such life lessons that is going to be generational. And I'm, it's brought me to tears because just to think that your girls are seeing this powerful woman get up every single time that she's been knocked down and figure it out, just make it happen, figure it out. How can I do this? And they're going to pass that down to their children. So that is breaking that generational cycle of that programming we were speaking about right at the beginning. And we're, we're reprogramming the next generation to leave a legacy that's going to be changing the world and empowering them as well. And that is just such a beautiful thing to leave the world with as well. Now, um, how are you with your lupus uh, now, Laura, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so um, I have lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia is what they diagnosed me with. And um, uh, over the last couple of years, I uh, had not been doing very well. So whenever my husband left and um, his statement was to my parents that he had planned on being gone for like six months so I could, so he could prove to me that I couldn't make it on my own and that I would break. And I remember thinking, who, why would you ever say that about somebody, especially somebody you're supposed to love? You know, I took care of this man, you know, through all these things. And I stayed with, tried to help him and fight with him. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, that's exactly what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to break, which means I have to figure out how to get my body to catch up to my mind, you know, because my mind can go, but my body, there are times it just doesn't work, you know, and I would just be in bed because I can't wake up. You know, and so I started looking into more holistic things. And um, my rheumatologist at the time had told me that um, he was starting me on methotrexate, which is chemo, basically, um, and uh, that I needed to start getting my mind around that we were going to have to start dialysis soon. I'm like, dialysis? And I, it kind of made me upset at the time because I was like, you know what? I feel like all these medications that you have me on all the time are making me worse. Like there wasn't anything wrong with like my kidney or my liver before. And now those are, are damaged really bad. And I think it's because of the medication, like I just, in my gut, I didn't feel right about it. And so I started looking up different treatments and I had done stem cell transplants twice and um, other things, but then, uh, and that helped for a while. And then, um, last year there was a holistic doctor who approached uh, my husband, Robert, and told him about this stuff called, um, Biomyx. It's a like tributyrin. It's stuff to help your leaky gut because that's what autoimmune diseases and all that are. And so I haven't had a flare up in I think eight months now. Wow. That's good. That is so good yeah. to know that you're looking after your health. You're changing generations to come. And I think your message has helped me 
today, Laura, as well. And I know it'll help many of our victim to victory audience because I needed to hear to get up again. And I thank you for that. And it's brought me to tears, but I needed to hear that message of get up again today. So the universe has given you to me, especially, and to the victim to victory audience of just not giving up, find a way to make it happen. You are so worthy. You are so appreciated. And I'm so grateful that there's people like you in the world, Laura, that is helping others and changing generations to come. Thank you so much. What kind of message would you like to leave our audience on today? There's one thing that I would leave with you. And this is, this is what took me so long and took me so many years of hurt and pain and not understanding that sometimes the people that are supposed to protect you are the ones that hurt you and hurt people hurt people. And sometimes they don't even know that they're the ones that are hurt, right? If you'll understand that words have power and the words, even if they're not spoken out of your lips, the words that you're saying in your mind are writing the script of what's to come and what is your is what you're speaking over yourself and over your life. If you will change your script and talk to yourself as if you feel like you are the most important person and that you have this set of, set of boundaries and rules and that if you don't allow yourself to talk negatively to you and if you don't allow yourself to um, treat yourself with any less respect than you would treat a queen, you know, you go and see, you know, um, the queen of England, okay? You bow before her, you curtsy, you, you know, talk nice and you, you know, you're calm and all these things, right? You dress up, you show up. If you will have that same thought process that I am a queen, but I'm not just any queen and not just some, you know, um, bad mama jamma, you know, whatever, all these different things, right? You know, like, oh, I'm a boss babe. Wait a minute. No, you're royalty, you know, and, and if you will understand that there's a sense of grace and purpose and an entitlement with that birthright, then you'll understand that when you start to teach people how to treat you by how you treat yourself and how you present yourself, that's how they have to treat you. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that I could raise my price. And that's what I did because I had discounted myself for so many years for so many people that didn't deserve a discount. But now I know I'm really worth more than rubies and my girls do. And so my price is really high. And so if you could do anything for yourself, it's raise your price and understand that you're worth so much more than you're giving yourself credit for and don't discount yourself for anybody anymore. I love that message. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for you. Our audience will be grateful for you. There are so many golden nuggets and life lessons. And yes, the graveyard is the most expensive real estate because that's where the dreams go to die. So don't let them die. Thank you so much, Laura. I really, really appreciate you. I'd love to do a part two with you down the track because um, I'm an absolute fan. Uh, so thank you so much for being brave to share your story. You're so appreciated. And you can find our podcast on the YouTube and Facebook at Victim to Victory podcast series. If you got value from today, I'll be sharing Laura's link. And if you want to connect with her, that is absolutely fantastic. So please subscribe, like and comment. And I want to leave you with a message of 
step into your story, figure out who you are and do it on purpose. Thank you.